Dance Masters, the podcast. I'm only listening if you get people chatting music with DJs behind the music. Chatting music with DJs behind the music. I'm James Blonde and welcome to the Dance Masters podcast where we dig a little deeper with the superstars of UK dance. We ask all our guests a series of questions and hope for a series of different answers to find out what's going on behind the scenes and what makes them tick. So if there's anything you want to ask on future shows, just get in touch and let us know. Tonight's guest is king of the dance anthems, a pivotal part of British dance music culture and still as in demand now as he was back in the day. From his numerous years at Radio 1 to his gold-selling albums, yes, albums, and loads of them. I could go on, but well, welcome to the show, Dave Pierce. Hi, yeah, how's it going? Very good, Dave. We chat occasionally on the phone and our, our paths have crossed on lineups, but I'm glad to finally get you on the show after all these years. So you're well known for your dance anthems, but originally when you first started DJing many moons ago, you were playing hip-hop. What sparked the change there? My sort of musical history came through predominantly black music. So it was the end of disco, then it kind of went into soul and jazz funk, and then hip-hop suddenly arrived on the scene just around the early 80s. I got really involved in that. At the same time when hip-hop took off for me, more or less the same time, in in the mid-80s, the beginnings of house music started happening. So that's more like the stuff that was coming out of New York, Larry Levan and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, Chicago house music from about 86. So what happened is, as a DJ, particularly on the radio when I was on Radio London, I was doing one show that was hip-hop and one show which was this new emerging music, which then became house music. So the two always ran in tandem. And when the rave scene came along, I just got more and more into the dance music and all that sort of happiness and everything that was involved with it. You know, when I was doing my hip-hop, there was so much hassle with the gigs and trouble and violence and stuff. So I gradually moved away from that. So by the early to mid-90s, I was just focusing on dance music from then on really you just kind of briefly touched on it with your radio show and also your dj and do you have a preference for either do you prefer presenting a radio show or do you prefer performing at live gigs that's a really interesting question i mean i've i've done a lot less radio in the last couple of years usually i do maybe like one thing a year on radio two or whatever I've, or i've done these new year's eve takeovers on there or like the odd little series but um i got really really back into live djing again for me personally, radio changed a lot from how it was when I started out. Also, when I was at Radio 1, I had complete free choice on what I wanted to play. More and more restrictions came along in radio, and you, you sort of always felt like you're tre- treading on eggshells, really, particularly if you want to do something a bit different. So I think, although I like radio, I think at the moment I'm in a happier place uh, doing live sets because I feel that I'm actually doing 100% what I want to do. Talking about the live sets, with the massive resurgence in the classic dance events over the last few years especially, do you get the same buzz playing all the anthems? Yeah, I do actually i mean what i do is obviously switch them up and and during this lockdown period i mean the only about the only good thing that's come out of it as far as i'm concerned is i've spent ages trawling through um youtube and places and trying to remember records that you used to play in your sets and you'd actually just forgotten all about them and i've uncovered lots of gems that were actually quite big records for me in sets and 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 even in my dance anthem show although they weren't necessarily all hits but they were records that sat really well in that show so i've spent a lot of time finding those so that gives me a lot of buzz but you know for records like delirium silence and 
certain records, even though I've played them millions of times, I still get a tremendous buzz because it's um, as much anything. It's about the the way that you're working the crowd and watching the emotion in the crowd and everything. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of them I still get the same buzz out of. But then but then it's great to find these ones I hadn't played for ages. I know you do a variety of different sets, and I know you can play multi genres. But do you have a preference? Well, the trance anthem thing is something that I really fell in love with, and I've maybe the seeds of it were in. You know, when I was listening to like disco music when I was a kid and you look at Donna Summer, I Feel Love and, you know, Sylvester Mighty Real and all those synths that were going on in there. I think buying records like Kraftwerk and stuff like that, somewhere in, in my DNA, obviously that kind of electronic music really resonated. So although I love the dance anthems as well, I love house music. I think for me, the trance things seems to have been in my blood for such a long time without before it was called trance and it's amazing the power of an instrumental piece of music to evoke emotional responses in people and it really can take you on a journey so they're two different things but i think trance is my preference but then you know if i was doing a pool party or something somewhere it's great to dig out your dave morales's and all those classics as well trance was very much like a forerunner for what might be used as a term now edm what's your thoughts on the current offerings of the euphoric hands in the air house you know it's always interesting to see how things develop you know there's a lot of what i call cut and paste jobs of old 90s stuff kind of reworkings which is fine when the edm first came along particularly in america a lot of it related actually more to rave music with some of the harder stuff and i quite like that and i like the energy of it and i went to watch it in america and i could totally get why people were excited about it it didn't get played as much over here as it did in europe and america and i think some really great records you know didn't always get much support on the radio in the uk but i i found that quite exciting i'm not a big fan of the watered down house music you know, if I was going to go for house, I'd probably go for a label like Defected or whatever that I think, you know, still got some good sort of integrity in what they're doing. But I think there's quite a lot of stuff that's not really floating my boat. Well, you just briefly touched on on the rave scene. And I know that back in the day, you involved in a in a label that signed Urban Shakedown. And then you were the head honcho of both Delirium and New Life Records. And you had massive, massive success with hits like Rude Silver, Touch Me and uh, Ian Van Dahl. How did you sniff those tracks out or did they come to you? Or is there something in your water that goes, I'm going to have that and that's going to be big? Each record's different. Each record tells a different story. It took a long process, actually, because from when I did my rave label, Reaching Records, and we had like Urban Hype and all those sort of things, we were just learning how to do it, really. We didn't really know. It was just that we loved music, and we kept trying to put these records out. and Lost a lot of money. I lost all my furniture, you know, lost everything. But it was a great learning experience. Then I went to Polydor, and I did Urban Records there as well, which was really good. So I got to work with a lot of more experienced people. Got to learn the scene a bit more. And then I think when I did New Life with BMG, because I was DJing more or less four days a week in clubs, I just kind of had a real instinct of, of what was going to connect. And I was able to keep testing records out when I played them out. So um, I would always see what records were working. And so I remember with Ian Van Dow, the reason I signed that is it had been sitting in my house for a year and I'd quite liked it. But I was doing the Escape in Swansea one night and I thought, I, I just need another vocal trance track to play. And I can't think of anything. I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. I've never really played it out. And it had been sitting there for a year. And um, I played it that night. And by the second uh, chorus, everyone was singing it back and i was like oh my god you know so i rang the label and said is this record still available and they're like yeah nothing's really <laughs> happened they're like right i want to sign it now and that was just like an instinct thing with that you know and with rui de silva that was a really weird one because i kept umming and ahhing about it it was actually very different to anything that was around at the time and um you know i kept thinking is it just me is this good am i wrong and i, I actually had a dream about it one night 
it was actually when I was in Ibiza out of season and I had a dream. I just dreamt that this record was a hit and everyone loved it. So I rang my boss in London. So we've got to sign this record, which we've been dithering about for months. And thank goodness it was one that connected. That was what happened with that one. And maybe it was partly down to timing. I mean, there's, there's certain tracks there of the moment and that yeah. was definitely one of them. It was a very beautiful record. I remember actually, funnily enough, because, you know, obviously I was at Radio 1 at the time and um, played it to um, one of the execs. I didn't actually say that we were looking at signing. It was going, no, this will never be a hit, da, 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 it's far too this, it's far too, I was like, oh my God, you know, but end of the day, you have to go on your gut, really. We never paid a lot of money for records. Um, I always used to like to spend the money on marketing them and trying to get the best plugger on it I could. Uh, so I always bring in independent people. And the only one where we did spend a lot of money, funny enough, was Rui, where I literally gambled a company on it because if it had gone wrong, that would have been it. I wanted to just move on to live events, obviously, with the world starting to open back up now. A lot of brands picked up on the classical events, like the Gatecrasher Classical, Hacienda Classical. Would you be interested in doing a, a Dave Pierce Dance Anthems live event? Yeah, I am actually doing a Trance Anthems one. I mean, we, we had it planned before the pandemic happened and, you know, we were due to do it, the Indigo O2 in London. But we have rescheduled the show for later in the year for October the 2nd of this year and I think that trance music lends itself so well to classical music there's you know there's so much so many elements of classical music in a lot of the tracks particularly the string sections and everything so hopefully you know fingers crossed I don't want to tempt fate here but um, I'm hoping it will happen this year please definitely 100% uh, keep me informed on that because I know for a fact my wife would love absolutely love a trance anthems classical show so definitely stick us down for a couple of tickets if that does happen uh 2nd of october did you say yeah 2nd of october is the rescheduled date so it is booked in there's a few surprises in there some great artists joining us if it if it all goes ahead as planned well while you were talking then i've just uh put a note in my diary so i've blocked out 2nd of october so fingers crossed it does definitely happen yeah absolutely yeah do you have a favorite dj of all time certainly I guess one of my favourite DJs of all time, although sadly he's he passed on, was Sir Frankie Knuckles, who got to meet very early on in his career, in his first visit to the UK. And we sort of, you know, stayed connected. And I just thought he was a great DJ and um, almost sort of get emotional talking about him sometimes, really. And I think also another one is, um, you know, Armin Van Buren, when I look at all his achievements that he's done, you know, he made some great records and, and um, he's achieved so many things in terms of pushing the whole trance scene around the world and building his you know stadium events and everything that he's done it's been quite remarkable really so um you know i admire him greatly as well and looking to the new breed of djs that are kind of coming through the ranks now is there anyone that you've got your eye on and you think i actually really like him and you know moving forward he might be someone that i'd favor recently there's a guy called kenny palmer a british uh, producer and djs making some really great records that i've been supporting on my show so he's one that I think it's really good. Aaron Stowers is another one. There's there's actually loads of them. And during lockdown, you had absolutely insane numbers on your live streams. Is this something you plan on continuing now the world's opening up again? Well, it's a really interesting question in terms of, of what we do, because I think that there's a sort of secondary audience that maybe weren't even necessarily going clubbing that much anymore, but really enjoyed the music and they know that it's not censored in the way that conventional radio is now it's a broader church so i'm pretty tempted to carry on with it as long as we can make it work in terms of my schedule that is the intention at the moment i was actually blown away and, and really surprised by just how 
how many people connected with it and uh you know it's really really nice to see and music's a great emotional crutch and you know it it seemed to touch a lot of people we've got a little feature on the show what's in your box we do a little deep dive into musically what makes our guests tick is there a signature record that defines the dave pierce sound well, one of the records that really leaves my box is, is probably Delirium Silence. I just love playing that record out. You know, I still find it quite a spiritual record, really. So, you know, the fact that I've played it so many times and it still moves me. And I see the reaction that it evokes in the crowd if it's played at the right time, at the right moment. So, yeah, I think that's probably my my signature track, I think. Do you have one single piece of treasured vinyl? You know, sometimes you downsize your collection, uh, but you, you, you cherry pick a few out and go, that one will stay with me forever or those couple there can't go funnily enough i mean with vinyl which is a whole different ball game i have got loads of my original hip-hop still which i kept so although i stopped playing it, i still loved that early you know those early sounds obviously uh, you know, I've got test pressings of, of Public Enemy and all those guys that I work with. I've still got on vinyl, you know, the original import version of Sylvester, You Make Me Feel Mighty Real, which I bought when I was a kid. Really? <laughs> and uh, yeah, certain 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 records will never, never, ever leave your record collection, really. Yeah. So I have got quite, a, you know, I managed to whittle it down. I had an old garage full of records for, for years. And when we moved to a smaller house, I had to get rid of them. So... It was actually at the time that Kiss FM opened in London and, you know, I started there. And so I donated a load to them and then I ended up giving the rest to the British Heart Foundation and just kept a very small couple of thousand for me that were the ones that couldn't let go. Can you actually remember the first record that you bought? Yeah, the, well, the two first singles I remember buying, and I'm not sure what order they were, Popcorn Hot Butter and the other one was Craftwork Autobahn. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was only a little kid, um, but for some reason that those sounds just um, resonated. I must have driven my family nuts. You know, I just played them over and over and over and over again. And um, popcorn hot butter, butter turns out was actually made by Jean Michel Jarre, I think. So it was um, a pseudonym of his. Both really quite grown up records and yeah. quite intelligent records for a, a young person to be out shopping for. Yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? You know, it could have been uh, I've got a brand new Combine Harvester or, or yeah. ABBA or something. But, um, you know, I bought lots of terrible records as well, but they're definitely the first ones that I bought. I was that geek in the record shop all the time. And so I went to work in a record shop and, and that was my one of my dream jobs, really, I think, you know being in there playing records all day and then ordering in charge of ordering the imports from America, you know, for the dance stuff. So that was a great thing to do. Seems to be a, a running trend uh, working in record shops. Talking to uh, Graham Park and also Dave Lee, who both started in record shops buying. And, and I think it's one of those things that's in DJ's blood. Yeah, no, exactly. And you could spend hours in there. And, and also, you know, it was also watching what other people were buying. And and the shopping was like therapy as well at the same time. It's, I just thought it was an amazing, amazing experience, which it's, it's great that you can just click and, and download now. Don't get me wrong, but I just think there was something really, really quite special about that point. Do you have a secret guilty pleasure track probably i'm just trying to think <laughs> uh, what's yours there there is one and uh it was it's one of those that you tentatively you put it on a deck and you go can i get away with playing this and you pull it off and go there's absolutely no way i'm going to get away with playing this and then you look at the crowd again and they're all smiley faced and go you know what i am going to play this and you put it on and then you take it off again and go, i'm definitely not going to play and then you just go it's the end of the night i'm going to play it love is in the air 
Oh, well, yeah, great. What, the original? Or the... Yeah, the original. I played it last year for the first time at, uh, at Shambhala as, as a closing track. And it, it genuinely on and off, on off. And I just thought, right, let's play. And the place just exploded. It was ridiculous. Yeah, great record. Yeah. I like 10cc, I'm not in love, because I love the synths on it and everything. It's just such a an interestingly produced record. So that's one that isn't really a dance record, but it's just a great great piece of production love it love it dave as always it's been absolutely great to chat with you you can check out davepierce.co.uk for more info also check out his trans classics trans classical event that's happening in london on the 2nd of october a little plug for you there dave and he's all over social media so you can check out what dave's up to there so if you've liked what you've heard and you fancy adding some tunes into the mix check out the full two-hour show with an exclusive mix from tonight's guest at unionjackdance.co.uk thanks for listening Join us back here next Friday on Dance Masters and don't forget to hit the link to subscribe. Dance Masters, the podcast. I'm only listening if you get people chatting music with DJs behind the music. Chatting music with DJs behind the music.